True greatness does not consist in wealth or beauty or physical prowess or popularity or power. True greatness does not consist in the things of this world. True greatness consists in self-sacrifice and handing ourselves over for the sake of others. And that is demonstrated by none other than God himself. Coming to earth as God and being absolutely sinless and infinitely good, he would suffer torture to death to give up himself to save us. And that's this example that he sets for us. It's an example that the twelve apostles are going to each learn in their own stride, except for Judas, who will kill himself. The other ten of the other eleven will die as martyrs. Of the eleven, ten will die in foreign countries, leaving behind spouses and children and homelands and everything else to serve Jesus to their dying breath. This is what is great in the eyes of God is the degree to which a person would give their life for God and for another. It's not the degree to which a person acquires wealth or status or power or beauty or the things that the world prizes, but the things that God prizes, that heaven prizes. Greatness is ultimately measured out by God and measured out for eternity by God. Even if I were to live for a thousand years, it's still nothing compared to eternity. It's God who is going to decide how great I am for eternity. And the same holds for each one of us. This millennial generation. Well, actually, before I get to this, I'm going to use this story. The story of somebody who's not great in anyone's eyes. When I was in high school, I was introduced to a book called Johnny Got His Gun. It was part of our English class reading this book. Johnny Got His Gun is this, it's a fictional story about a World War I soldier. So World War I ended in 1918, at least in the Western Front. 1918, so that's over, a little over 100 years ago. But it was kind of the first modern war in a lot of ways. It had planes, it had submarines and machine guns, and kind of, you're getting the drift, but they were still trench warfare fighting it out. But this one soldier gets blown up, but he's not dead. He loses his arms and his legs. He's blinded, he's made deaf by the explosion, and his jaw's torn off. But instead of letting him die, they clean him up, they get him to a hospital where they feed him. And I don't know if they could do tracheas at that time, or they put some kind of food down his throat, I don't know how they did it. But they left him in bed and fed him and tended to his wounds, etc., etc. And the doctors and nurses thought that Johnny... Uh, was that his brain was just melted from the explosion. That inside of this, this living little amputated body was a madman now. But inside, Johnny's mind was still normal. He could, he, could still, he could understand what was happening to him. But he couldn't communicate in any way. <clears throat> he had no hands, no feet, no eyes, no mouth, no ears. How, how could he communicate? So when he would move his head around or thrash his head around, they would think that he was having like a seizure or something and they'd give him some sedative and knock him out again. Anyway, living inside of himself for a period of time, Johnny is replaying the record of his whole life, going back over his whole childhood and everything in his life. At some point, he realizes that he remembers that when he was a boy, his father taught him Morse code. And this is a game changer. And so in his mind, he begins to go back over and over again what it was that his father was teaching him about Morse code until he could remember it. 
And then once he could remember the Morse code, he began to do Morse code with his head. Going tap, 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 with his head on the pillow. The doctors and nurses would just think he's having another episode and give him a sedative and put him under until one day a nurse came in and she saw the rhythmic pattern of what he was doing and she realized it's Morse code. So then they called in the doctors and the nurses and somebody who could read Morse code and he was telling them, I'm alive in here. I know what's going on. And then he was saying, kill me, kill me, stop it. If you think you got problems, there's nothing after hearing that story. That, that's an apocalyptic kind of over-the-top sort of thing. But in there, Johnny would have loved the opportunity to serve in any way that he could have. Wouldn't any of us rather serve, even if it was to clean toilets for the rest of our life, than to live like that? So before we think that making sacrifices for somebody else is just, oh, so painful and so difficult and I'm not going to ever try... Let's count our blessings for what we have and recognize that even the ability to sacrifice for another is God's gift to us. If I couldn't sacrifice at all for another person, then I'm no better than Johnny lying in that bed. And life is miserable. Now to the millennial generation. I'm not exactly sure when sociologists say that the millennial generation begins and ends. But roughly, let's say, there are people in their 20s, maybe 30s, maybe teens, the millennials, young adult-ish people. And these people just statistically are uh, a couple of things. They're the most populated generation of Americans we've ever had. The children of baby boomers and Generation X and Generation Y, etc., and immigrants. And so they're actually numerically the largest of our generations. That's number one. And they're also statistically clearly the saddest generation that's ever lived. Here are some statistics that, that demonstrate that something disillusionment that's going on in that millennial generation. They have the highest rate of non-marriage of any generation they've ever seen. The majority of, of marriage-age millennials are not married. It's something like 60-plus percent of marriage-age millennials are not married. And they're not having kids either. So they just generationally are checking out from family. That family is not for me. It's not for me. The thing is, is that we know statistically that married people, on the whole, are happier and healthier than single people. Not always the case, but generally speaking, you're happier and healthier. So you've got a generation that's rejecting matrimony and parenting. And it draws the question, are they happy? They have an incredibly high degree of disillusionment when it comes to work, job hopping from one job to another, or going from a job to unemployment and drawing unemployment, and then that runs out and they go back to work kind of thing. So kind of thing. There isn't sort of a career focus going on. It's just kind of a muddled, muddle through it kind of a thing. They're certainly the most sexually confused generation the world has ever seen. They're not sure about their sexual orientation or even their gender. And they're into trying all kinds of things. You can thank internet pornography for that too. And here's the kicker. They have the highest rate of suicide of any generation we've seen by far. What's going on with the millennials? What is happening there? They don't do community service. They don't go to church. And this is the problem. They're the least religious generation we've ever seen. 
in those surveys, something like 80 plus percent identify with no religion at all. They just either say they're atheist, agnostic, or none of the above, like no religious affiliation. And so it's the absence of God that's driving this generation to disillusionment and despair. That's what it is. It's the absence of God. And to that, we can point at the millennials and say, it's your fault. No, but we've got to point at their dads and moms and say, it's your fault too. Why didn't they go to church growing up? Why did you leave the TV set on every day for them to rot their brains? The blame goes all over the place. But what we do know is we've got a generation that's miserable, that's really miserable. And they're miserable because they don't have God. And so in the absence of God, what do people live for? What do they live for? You think, well, you know, family. I hear that all the time, people talking about their loved ones for funerals. Well, what, what was a real motivator for dad and mom? Family, they love family. Because everyone loves family, right? But the millennials don't. They're not getting married. They're not having kids. Well, what about wealth? Well, the millennials seem to be fine working at Starbucks and whatever, and kind of lower-paying jobs. They don't seem to be motivated to be millionaires. Well, what about beauty? Well, they dye their hair funny colors, and they tattoo themselves crazy and pierce themselves left and right. Or power. They seem to be perfectly fine living in the shadows. So what do you live for in the absence of God? What is it? Well, you think I'm living for myself in the moment. And that's what they do. They live for themselves in the moment. But there's no happiness living for yourself in the moment. In fact, there's no happiness living just for yourself, even beyond the moment and for life. Jesus, who's God, demonstrates with his life that sacrificing for others is the very thing that obtains for us our happiness. Because it obtains for us our resurrection and it directs us away from the selfishness of this world to a world to come. That if I lay down my life for you, then paradoxically, I have a better life. Why is that? The reason is, by sacrificing for other people, we find purpose and meaning in our own skin, in our own life. If I just live for myself, I'm a student, I just live for grades, I just live for new experiences and new apps on the smartphone and the new thing on the smartphone and sports and whatever kind of thing, or I work and I go to work and I come home and crash on the couch and I eat and whatever, and, and I'm just living like for no one else, making no meaningful sacrifices for anyone else, then I don't have a purpose And God made us for a purpose. It's in our DNA. Every cell in our body has a purpose and a function. Well, so too does our whole being have a purpose and a function. And if we don't recognize that a big part of that is to make sacrifices for someone else like Jesus has, then we end up just being selfish and miserable. And that's the truth. What ultimately satisfies and makes us happy is by laying down our lives, laying down our lives for another. We'll all die. We might as well make that death meaningful instead of just being forgotten, having left no mark. Let's make sure that when we die, there was a mark that we left behind. Back to the apostles. James and John and the other nine 
will lay down their lives. They aren't ready yet. They don't understand yet what Jesus means when he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We know that because when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of of Gethsemane, John and James, along with Peter, ran. And the other guys were never even around. They ran. And Peter proceeded to deny Jesus. I don't even know the man. He's the Pope. I don't even know the man. But they would grow. They would grow tremendously over the course of their lives. One by one, they would leave their families. They'd kiss their wives and children goodbye for the rest of this life. How many of us can say that we have the strength to do that for Jesus? But that's what they would do. And they would die in foreign lands of hideous tortures for the love of God and love of the people like Jesus who were putting them to death, that they might save them. In the end, they gave away everything and gained everything. It was a huge paradox, but it's reality, it's truth. If I lay it down, I get it all back again in a hundredfold, a hundredfold. And where are James and John now? I don't know where their mother is who put them up to this, but I know where James and John are. For 2,000 years, they've been in the glory of God, measured by God's greatness. That's where they are, because they matured enough to realize, I need to make sacrifices for others. All right. Back to Johnny got his gun. Imagine if Johnny had been raised Catholic, and he had heard his mom say, Johnny offered up. He's a little boy and skinned his knee, and he's crying, and mom comes and consoles him, and she says, offer it up, Johnny. Offer it up. Or Johnny doesn't want to do his homework, etc. Dad says, you're going to do your homework, you're going to get it. Now offer it up, kind of thing. But that whole idea of, okay, offer what up? Offer whatever is going on in our life as a sacrifice to God. Imagine if Johnny lying in his body was saying, okay, God, I understand what's going on. They're using me as a medical experiment. There's nothing I can do to stop them. God, I give you all of this suffering. I give you what's left of my life. And I won't complain. I won't complain. I'll use whatever suffering I have and I'll unite it to you in true love. And you do with it what you will. Believe me, the grace of God would pour right through the roof of that room, right through Johnny, and out to the nurses and doctors. And his offering that up, his sacrifice, done without any begrudging, done with true love and charity, could actually save some of those doctors and nurses who might otherwise not make it to heaven. Through what he's doing, he might actually save family members on the other side of the world because of the grace of God from his sacrifice in that bed. Whatever sacrifices we're making, we don't know how God is using that for some greater good. The apostles had no idea that 2,000 years later that on the other side of the world, a continent would be discovered called America, populated, and on this little place on the Columbia River would be a town called Vancouver, and there would be a parish in East Vancouver with me talking about these guys. They had no idea what their sacrifice would ultimately lead to. Nor do I, nor do you. 
but with God, it will lead to something good. A final thought. Sanctify the sacrifices in your life. Sanctify your work. If you're a home homemaker, be the best homemaker you could be. Keep a great house. Shop for healthy food, prepare great meals, do the laundry, whatever it is that you do as a homemaker. Don't begrudge it. Don't think, oh, I wish I was out in the world. My husband or wife has it better than me, or somebody else has it better than me. No. No, sanctify what you are. If you're working out in the world, you're working as an insurance agent, you're working in a restaurant, the healthcare industry, for the government, wherever you work, sanctify it. Be the best street sweeper that exists. Do the best job of sweeping those streets and sidewalks and take great pride in it, knowing that offered to God without any begrudging, without any selfishness, there is grace there that's doing something good for you and for others. For you and for others in unknown ways. But whatever it is that Christ has got you doing right now and being, be that person to the full. Sacrifice what God is asking you to sacrifice. And do it with love and do it with gratitude. Johnny would love to have the opportunity to sacrifice. Do it with gratitude. Do it without complaining. And doing it knowing that God is going to repay you a hundredfold. And that through you, God is going to save other people.